I'm Stuart Childs and you're welcome to the Dairy Age, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With calves already landing on the ground for 2023, in this two-part interview I speak to Tommy Heffernan, probably better known as Tommy the Vet. Tommy will be well known to you all and while more recently he might be associated with the new product Precision Microbes, which we're going to discuss in part two of the interview, he also has a wealth of knowledge on calf health and management through his consultancy work. Just like the AHI events taking place across the country currently entitled Back to Basics, Tommy too likes to focus on doing the basics right. And I started by asking Tommy what he considers key in calf rearing and where improvements can be made. Look, everything I say is fairly basic, but I have the concept of being brilliant at the basics. And if you can do that, you really, you know, and, and it comes from looking at really high performing farms. What are they doing really well? And it goes back to that simple thing. So if we look at Colostrum as the building block, it actually starts before the calf arrives on the ground. We must remember that, okay? We, we, we've got obsessed with testing colostrum, and that's really important. But what happens if you have poor quality colostrum? What does that indicate? And we've got to go back to colostrogenesis or brewing colostrum inside the other. The diet of the cow as she comes up to calving time is really important. Protein and energy, because colostrum is you know, twice the fat, twice the protein, and that energy and protein is really critical to quality colostrum. So, you know, that's something to be mindful of. You know, minding the cow pre-calving is going to help with colostrum quality as well. I think we've done a fantastic job of getting the one, two, three rule. People understand about the, the immunity piece now. The only thing I'll say about colostrum is really the thing we need to probably get a bit, little bit better about, the bit of advice I'd give is hygiene on colostrum, okay? Because it's got twice the fat uh, and protein of ordinary milk, bacteria love it. So we've bacterial overgrowth to challenge. Now, also in the springtime, it's going to be very busy. Lots of cows calving, and that's the system. But, you know, leaving colostrum in buckets for 24 and 48 hours uncovered is a risk, okay? So we need to be very careful around how we harvest colostrum stored um, with the same kind of detail we might look at as how in our milking routine from hygiene and TBCs. Same rules apply because if we get bacterial overgrowth in, those, in that colostrum and it goes into the young calves' gut, if we have things like E. coli in there, well, they're going to actually block the absorption of antibodies. They're going to proliferate. That's going to be the first bacteria that's really going to take hold in the gut. And that will have an impact on our calf. So what does that practically mean? Well, if you're harvesting colostrum uh, with milking units and stuff like that, the same cleaning protocols, if not even more, is really important. The other thing is when we're feeding with using utensils, um, a proper cleaning regime for Stomach tubes are, if we're using, uh, if we're teeth feeding calves, really, really key, a good detergent and a good washout. And how simple we can make that on farm in the middle of a busy spring is really key. So my message on colostrum, I think we've we've nailed the one, two, three uh, rule on it and people are, couldn't sing that to you. But we just got attention to detail around hygiene and colostrum is really, really important if I was to add something different to the story. Okay, so Tommy, like, um, I suppose just to expand on it, we talk about trying to have that calving area clean and so forth, that if the calf does uh, happen to get up, then they fall down, that they're lending into a clean, a relatively clean area, because obviously we, this is hard to achieve at, at farm level, but we need to push the, the boundaries as hard as we can in relation to it. You're talking about taking that to the next step, so so we'll say that the slightly dirty calf ba- or calving area or calving pen that were relatively okay and as in it was freshly baited this morning or whatever but we've had a, as you said a lot of cows going through it there today and before it gets baited again tomorrow you're talking about taking that to the next level that when we milk that cow we actually prepare her as if we were 
uh, as you said, trying to make sure that we'd no TBC issues. So maybe cleaning her down, teeth spraying her maybe before she's actually milked, that kind of thing to stop the harvest of the bacteria. And then the hygiene level is at the actual equipment side as well then. I think you raised a good point there around sort of the, you know, the broad area of hygiene. OK, so what's practical again? OK, I, I think having the other as clean as possible, I wouldn't go washing down teats unless they were dirty. That's not practical. But what is practical is loads and loads of straw. Straw solves a lot of problems for the cow and the calf because that's clean straw pre-calving or that clean environment pre-calving means the other is fairly clean coming up to calving time. You know, so I think that's a practical thing we can do. So whatever amount of straw you use, add 50% more. You'd nearly lie down on yourself. That does an awful lot of the work uh, when it comes to keeping cows clean. The other thing that I would say about calving pins we often overlook is just simple drainage. Plenty straw, but drainage underneath it and fresh air. That, 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 that's dry. Now, if another is dirty... Absolutely, when we're harvesting colostrum, be mindful that feces has all this E. coli in it, so we want to be clean. But that's, that's. I, I mean, I wouldn't go washing every tea, every other down, to be honest with you, sir. I don't think that's practical. But what is practical is lots and lots of straw, enough space for the cow, so the other itself is pretty clean when it comes to harvesting time. Uh, I think that's key. I think the, the, the issue for me really around colostrum is how we handle it post-calving, particularly when we're in the busy period, maybe in bigger farms, where there's a lot of colostrum there because cows are producing a lot of it and it gets into buckets. Those buckets are really important. So how often are they being cleaned? I just want people to think about 24 hours in their farm and their daily routines that they're doing and what can they do to make life a little bit easier? So we just before we went on, we talked about hygiene, just general principles, but having a place where you can bring your buckets to where there's high pressure water, you have a detergent there and you maybe you have, an, you have a disinfectant that, you know, you can do it as quickly as you possibly can. I give the example for when I was in vet practice, I had the back of my car looked like a jumble sale. All right. Everything was just thrown into the back of it. So I went out in the springtime and it made me very inefficient. I was looking for fluid bags. Where's my penicillin? Where's my needles? I got shells in my Jeep and it transformed my day because I was able to find things. I was able to stock up. And, and that's simple. And I looked at that was a quite a significant cost, but the time it saved me. So what are those things on farm that we can save a little bit of time? We can develop good routines that make life easier for ourselves and improve health for the calf as well. And hygiene is one area where we can get bad habits. Uh, but hygiene is also an area where we can improve our habits, if, you, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, it's a very good point, And we often talk about, especially with Martina Gormley now on the labour side of things, about trying to make things lean. Uh, and what you said there is actually a, a very good example of lean. We'll say so organising stuff so that you know where everything is, place for everything and everything in its place kind of scenario. So um, it makes it t- more time efficient. OK, there's a bit of time to be invested, but it's a good point that we could actually maybe do that over the next week to get organised, get a few bits and pieces that we need close to hand in a place that are, is close to hand, obviously. And it takes the stress out of things uh, that little bit for people, especially when pressure comes on then. like So you're making the point that you knew that uh, when you looked into the certain shelf on the Jeep that if you didn't have, you were missing, you were short of 18 gauge needles, for example, like you needed to stock up on them. And that's the same for people as well. So if they can see up in the shelf that they have a couple of bottles of calcium there that they need for if a cow does go down, if there's no bottle of calcium up in the shelf, they need to get calcium before the cow does go down scenario. 
So like, uh, okay, it's moving away from the calf thing, but it's just an example we'll say of. The key thing about, 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 about calf health is it's like links in a chain. So all the links along are all linked in together and it starts with, with the cow. And if my, if my silage is poor quality and, and the colostrum quality is poor, that's the first link is broken in that chain. And, and these little bottlenecks along the way accumulate. And suddenly we're in the middle of uh, late February or early March and that is really starting to take effect. And we've got calf diarrhea and you're tubing calves. You're already tired from enough calving cows. And that's where the system falls down. Now, we're always going to get issues. Uh, but if the more these links in the chain, we can make sure that we have right. Well, then the better results we're going to have at calving time. And it, it really is a different, a slightly different way of thinking about it. But for me, it has transformed the way I manage health on farm is understanding the interlinked nature of all these little steps along the way. Okay, very good. So I suppose a classic question that will be asked Tommy, in relation to the colostrum quality, as you said at the start, okay, we can test it all we like, but what can people do if uh, the first cows that maybe they do check are showing signs of poor quality colostrum? Is there a quick fix that they can? It's not an ideal scenario, obviously, to be talking about, but the, the horse is gone in terms of maybe trying to do anything in a longer term. But is there a quick fix that people can put in place then to correct that because it's such a critical piece? Like, Yeah, good, good question. So, so one of the beautiful things about the cow is she will do everything she can genetically to put, you know, to make sure colostrum quality is good. I think heifers are a bit of a challenge or heifers will be calving in first. I used to be going mad for every sample being tested, but it's not relevant. It's not really practical. But what is practical is your heifers are going to give you a really good indication of your the quality of your silage if you haven't tested it because they're they're not going to have the highest quality. So always test a few of your heifers uh, to see. And if they're over that 23, 24 on the, refract, the bricks refractometer, brilliant. If they're not... It's an indication of energy and protein deficit probably in the diet. And a very simple tool there is just adding some high quality protein to the dry cow diet coming up to calving time. OK, um, it's always good as well if you're going from maybe a pit of silage to a new pit of silage to start testing again, because if we know we've consistency in the first pit and we're moving to a second pit, uh, well, then it's worth checking again. So simply adding an energy like soybean meal is, is quite, I know we're trying to get away from it, but it is uh, it, at, at the present time, a probably useful tool. And I've seen it on farm, you know, bricks to refractometers at 21, 22, maybe go in with soya and oats. That would have been my 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 my, my option. And I, I would have loved a kilo of both, but you can just see the colostrum come from 21, 22 to 30 on the bricks refractometer quite quickly because colostrogenesis takes about four to seven days before calving time. So we can impact it quite quickly and correct that on farm. Thankfully, Stuart, it's not a massive issue we've seen because we're getting better and better at quality silage. But it is a nice tool to have there to know what to do when actually you do get poor quality colostrum. So just moving on to the next step then in terms of the actual feeding processes then. So Tommy, what, what points have you to make for people there in relation to the actual day-to-day -day feeding of the, the older calves as they get older? Well, well, the first thing on feeding is we're going to obviously feed more and more milk replacer. Making sure you have a quality milk replacer is key. Okay, so, and look, there's a lot of very good milk replacers. They're usually unfortunately based on price. And I know this year they're going to be a lot dearer, but we're trying to mimic what ordinary milk it does okay so we're trying to look for the animal source protein that's absolutely key the right level of fat 
Um, but the one thing I would say about milk replacers, I go back to biology of the calf, right? To what does the calf kind of what levels can they drink or what would they, you know, what, what's the optimum, optimum biology? The further you push that away, the more challenging it is. Now, um, like say, for example, once a day feeding of calves works well from an efficiency point of view. We have a legal limit. We don't want to push that too hard. Make sure, uh, particularly in cold weather, that we're feeding calves enough. The other thing we look at with milk that's a quite an important piece is the level of solids to water, if you like, okay, the, the dry matter constituents of milk. When you're mixing up a milk replacer, consistency is pretty key as well. So again, if you're a busy farm and you're adding a certain amount of powder to water, the automated feeder will do it for you. But if you're doing it yourself, just making sure that you can do that as consistently as possible. So it might be measuring out your milk replacer in a, in a, in a and, and look, in fairness, the equipment is getting better for mixing, but just doing that consistency. Calves love consistency when it comes to replacer. And again, it's another hygiene area, just keeping things clean, particularly feeders, I would say. I know we're kind of jumping into hygiene now, but feeders, um, like the farms where I've seen low disease incidents, one of the consistent things I'll see is their attention to de detail on cleaning feeders and cleaning buckets. Okay. It's, it's really, really important. Um, then when it comes to just the simple things, don't forget the water. Don't forget that, you know, that straw that the calf can take and start your meal as early as possible in the first couple of days. And the key thing with meal I would have found or concentrates would have been just a little bit of fresh meal. It could be a handful per calf a day, just to get them eating it okay that fresh meal don't let it cake up and build up because it it will get quite stale i think it was last year or the year before philip donahue and carlo was <clears throat> did one of the uh, calf care webinars with us that we had to do while we were during COVID, and he actually spoke about the two things that stick out in my mind from what philip said was he actually no matter what state the teats are in on the feeders they're all cut off and there's new ones put on every season and the other thing that stood out for me was that he actually had a feeder for every pen that he had in his farm, um, which meant that the that feeder wasn't being taken from pen to pen to pen. Is that a, a big thing? Um, because, like, I suppose, again, the, what's practical, what's, uh, like, Philip obviously had decided to do this and it was working very well for him. Calf health is good with him. Um, but is it, uh, is it feasible or is that is that something that people should be looking at? Like we'll say, this idea that we're going to move our, our milk bar from one gate to the next. And uh, is there a big risk of transfer of disease from pen to pen in that scenario? The key thing we must start with is we must remember, sorry, I'm not pontificating here now, Stuart. I'm listening to myself, watching myself. I sound like I am. But the key thing we must remember to start is the calf is the future of the farm, okay? The, uh, whether, you know, it be our beef animals are a very important part of it, or our heifers, they're really important. So you're never going to get as much value for a kilo of dry matter pro, uh, 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 of feed at, at this time. And all the research shows that future lifetime performance is improved because of it. So that's why this attention to detail is worth it. Um, the, fee the feeder per pen makes complete sense, absolutely. And again, um, we're trying to mimic nature. So we're putting calves onto a teat. The, the better, like if there's damage to that teat, we'll see more bloat. We'll see inefficient feeding. We'll see lack of salivation. So just having good, clean teats allows the calf to mimic that. You know, they have to work a little bit hard. They salivate, all those sort of things we want them to do. So absolutely, that's the difference between good and great, if you like, and, uh, when it comes to calf rearing. It really is. And I've been on Philip's farm. Um, so it, it really is that they're, they're the steps, okay? And the challenge for for me, I suppose, and, and yourself here is we'll throw a load of ideas and farmers will be going, Jesus, what do we start doing? 
just take one or two things maybe that you might look at from your own farm from what we've discussed today and say, well, that's something I can try this year. Um, we'd hope we won't be given any bad advice. So one or two things changing over time, again, to that links in the chain, that's what makes the difference. Not trying to do 25 things in the one spring, but what is an area on your farm that you might try one or two improvements? And that would be a good one. The one feeder per per pin is a really good because you're not you're not transferring infection from one pin to the other and that's really key okay it costs you a few extra pounds for for feeders but the investment in future lifetime performance is what we really need to be thinking about and the other thing i wanted to pick up on there as well tommy is the consistency you said about the in terms of the mixing of the replacer how important is consistency in terms of the time of feeding for calves um i think it's one thing i've learned about calves is they like consistency OK, it's not it's not going to make or break the farm for the season. Um, but generally where you're trying to fill a belly of milk, maybe twice a day, um, the more time you have between it and the more consistency you have there, I think the better um, would be my advice. It won't make or break the season, to be honest with you, because we've seen that from once a day milk feeding that, you know, it, the shift in performance is is not massive or anything like that. So uh, try and everything you do with calves should be focused around consistency. Um, and same with cows. So trying to have that standard protocol. Now, you'll get a cow down with milk fever or you'll get a hard calf and today it'll be thrown out. The kids will be sick off school. There's lots of things that will go wrong in a day. But the more we can focus on consistency around timing, the better. So just moving on to, I suppose, the two areas that have, I suppose, they're, they're two of the key focus areas in relation to the calf care events as well. Um, but they're obviously being emphasised for a specific reason that they work. Um, space and ventilation. So space is probably the thing that's come under most pressure on farms in the last number of years because of all the things that, like, it's the chicken and egg scenario. You're not going to build a calf house unless you have the calves to put into it. But that calf house might be a little bit of time before it comes on stream. So we maybe need to be a bit kind of creative in our thinking in some cases to create enough space because space is so important, isn't it? One thing I've learned that space per calf is probably one of the biggest drivers uh, from investigating disease now for many, many years on, on farm. It is a huge driver, a huge, huge driver. OK, um, and I think we're going to probably have to look at that allocation that we, we've taught about. I think we, we, if we go back, if we had this conversation in 10 years time. I'd say we're going to be allocating more space per calf. It's really, really critical. Um, so. I know that's a challenge on farm, but it's if we can think about it, when we look at space and we're creating a space for a calf, there's I've always seen this on farm. There is capacity in different sheds. If we have the straw, um, I suppose nothing beats a, a, a purpose-built calf shed. But if we have the straw, you know, having 10, 12 calves in a in a pen where there's a shed there that, you know, with a bit of ingenuity, and I've done this on farm, uh, extra straw, some gates, we can relieve pressure. And that's a huge, huge one for calves. So space per calf. Um, when we look at that as well, there is there is options. So if I look at my calf pin and the feeders are here and the back wall is here, having that optimum space, we can still narrow down, if you like, our lieback or straw space, lying space, that still works. And maybe have a concrete space out the front. Um, and remembering as well that calves will urinate and defecate most when they're drinking. So drainage is a huge one, a massive one underneath calves. And when we do that 1 in 20 slope, uh, the builder doesn't want to do it. And when we look at it, it looks, but that is an absolutely key one. Because we're trying to make, with our calf pins, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it hard for the bacteria. We're trying to do everything we can. So dry and fresh air and good drainage 
are making conditions difficult for bacterial buildup. So that's what we need to be thinking about uh, with calves. But space is critical, absolutely critical. And more and more farms as well are going to automated feeders. The number of calves you put in an automated feeder really will, will determine the outcome. So when you go past 25 and certainly when you go past 30 on a station, it puts huge pressure on calves. And if you watch them, Stuart, there's a calf queuing up uh, if there's 30 plus calves on the feeder. You could be guaranteed there's one or two calves behind them. And watch them putting their nose in. They're gulping their milk down. And that's one of the reasons sometimes we'll see a bit of bloat, more bloat uh, where we, we, we have too many calves on a station. So, and like calves spend 85% of their day lying down, okay? So we do need, need a lying area and a warm lying area at that. And I mean, like you think about all the tools and, and, and I'll talk about precision microbes. Straw is a tool that is a phenomenal tool because it it's a hygiene tool, if you like, as well, because it's it's clean, but it's warm. It's There's nothing quite as insulating as straw. Um, so just those simple things, having a warm lie back for the calves um, where it becomes challenging. And you mentioned fresh air is to get that balance between a warm, dry calf and having fresh air at that calf level, because six inches, the nose is only about six inches off the ground for 85 percent of the day. That becomes a real, real challenge on farm. And the advice I've always seen for you from farm to farm can vary massively. On some farms, it's calf jackets. On some farms, it's uh, feeding more milk and more open sheds. Some farms are using it. So getting all these things right is grand on a, on a, on a, on a Zoom call, the two of us here, right? But it, it, it can be very farm-based, some of the solutions, okay? So I'm talking about in general principles, but there can be solutions that are very farm-specific. Uh, calf jackets work well. And one of the things about it, uh, any product is if 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 people buy more of them, it's always a good sign. Anyone I've ever seen with a calf jacket, they tend to get more and more of them. Um, they, they, they're a nice tool, I feel, particularly because we're we're dealing with where calves are coming at a cold, wet time, and calves are prone to the cold, and that's the calf comfort piece again. So I I, I probably didn't say this at the start. My six areas for calves are colostrum, feeding, fresh air, hygiene, calf comfort, and space. If you can get them right, you'll rear healthy calves. Just find one final question on the lying area and so forth. Then, like the like we've said already, it's it's a an Irish and a New Zealand problem, I suppose, or grass based uh, dairy problems. The intensity of calving at this time of year, the tendency is probably to top up the straw bed rather than to clean it out on a regular basis. That that in itself is throwing up that problem of the as you said about the calf's uh, nose only being six inches off the ground in terms of ammonia. Maybe is that fair to say? It is, yeah. So one of the challenges is, I suppose, drainage helps that for a sense, for a start. Okay, good drainage. Um, again, it's back to, and this is really important because I know a lot of people now at the moment are considering, you know, with all the challenges that are coming maybe in the next five years, building calf housing, is that you can get a loader in or something in that can actually just clean the shed easily because there's nothing quite like like taking that dung out. Um, uh, slightly separate to our conversation maybe later but there's a lot of new developments around how we compost and ma manage bedding as well and control the bacterial population that's one a space to watch um, but generally look if you've no choice topping up is the best but regularly cleaning out calf pens and regularly liming them I'm very very lucky that I get to go to a lot of farms and listen to a lot of people and I was with a very good calf rare recently and you know, if I was to pick something that he was doing, he was absolutely using loads of straw. He was cleaning out regularly and he was using lots of white lime and, and wearing, doing a really good job. That that was his key to success. And um, like his shed wouldn't have blown you away, but it was the regular cleaning out, the excess straw 
and just using white line as well really regularly so moving on to the ventilation piece i suppose we've touched on parts of it there note even in the in this in the space piece um how important is that i suppose there's a lot of questions around stack effect and so forth and there's people argue whether there is or isn't a stack effect in calf houses and so forth um like it's it's a tricky one as you've already said you want to keep that environment warm but you need that air space as well and one example that i have that I saw many years ago actually is like where calves were just literally put out into a hay into a, uh, a barn that was now empty we'll say and big bales big square bales put around it to create the penning as such um, and like they, they thrived inside there compared to the house that they'd come out of where they were getting repeated issues with pneumonia in it and you would say that the house that they went into was going to be literally Baltic for them like but they were under the under the wind speed where the wind was hitting, the wind was actually moving right through, so there was no draft there. Um, is it the draft rather than the ventilation is is nearly more critical, or what we like? Generally, you'd find that the airspace isn't limiting in in calf houses. It's the floor space is probably the the key limiting factor. What what's your experience of of the ventilation side of things? Air movement is really critical at calf level. So there's regular recycling, and you don't have stale air. Um, we have a very, very good tool in, uh, in, the, in between our eyes. Our nose is a nice little tool to get in there, right? And go in and smell calf sheds. If you're getting that ammonia smell, then there's something wrong. The big challenge is you can be in February and it's cold and dry. Uh, and next thing in March, the temperature goes up. And it, so we have that fluctuation. And that is really key. So I've seen the tubes. I've seen fans. I've seen everything. And I think... What do I say? Well, for me, this is just my own opinion, is more open calf sheds, okay, where there is good airflow, where calves have that type of shelter that they can get, but we have the ability to adapt when it gets quite cold. When I mean adapt, that maybe it's more milk feeding, okay, because if we're putting more milk into calves in periods, maybe where it's getting really cold and that fresh airflow through the shed is actually making calves cold, that raising of the metabolism just through more milk can help. Again, the calf jack is a fabulous little tool where you have more open calf sheds um, because the calf is warm. Where I have actually seen stress there is when they come off and the, you know, the weather changes. So I don't have a, an exact answer, Stuart. I think it, this is one of the areas where each farm needs to look at it. But adaptability when it comes to airflow, those tubes, in fairness, they've become very popular. They've got a lot better now because they're more designed to the actual structure that they're going into where they push airflow to uh, they're better. Um, I think all these sort of things help. But we're trying to get air movement down at six inches, which is a big challenge in a calf that can get cold. Um, but the ability to adapt with feeding and calf jackets is something that I have practically seen work well, particularly with feeding. That ability to go up maybe 10 or 20% just for those couple of days does help because we, we've less stress on the calf. And then when it comes to March and April, um, well, our calves are going to be older. They're going to be generating more of a stack effect now because they're, they're, rum, they're ruminating. Um, and definitely more open sheds work in the later seasons. And, and the problem is our cows actually really do well in open sheds. That's my opinion. You know, they do well outdoors. They do well because they produce such heat. But our calf is a different animal. They're a monogastric. And we, we, we sometimes think about sheds in the same way. And uh, we really got to think differently about calves. But it, because our, our weather is uncontrollable, we need some ability to adapt during that season. And feeding, to me is one of the ways we can adapt if we have maybe on the outset 
a, a, sh- a shade with good airflow. So I suppose just to summarise there, the two S's, I'd say space and straw really are the two things. That, uh, and, and then obviously, look, the hygiene is an important piece that people need to be conscious of as well. Tommy, pleasure as always to talk to you. Thanks, Stuart, for continuing the good work you're doing yourself. That's all for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And thanks to Tommy for joining me on the show. Next week, I'll speak with him about precision microbes and get him to explain exactly why he's so excited about its prospects. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Stuart Childs and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.